Sanctity 215 is our focus today. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Heavenly Father, um, we want to be approved by you. We want to honor you in the way that we handle your word. Speak to us to that end today through Christ, I pray. Amen. I ran across this verse devotionally recently, and it kind of struck me when I was a kid growing up, this was like, you know, mother's milk. It was just like something that we were taught from the time we were a kid, you know, to study, to show yourself approved to God, somebody who can handle the word of truth, rightly dividing the word of truth. It was really important for us. We were taught, we understood to handle God's word as sacred, to understand God's word as he intended it to be understood. And it just struck me how little I've focused on that or little how little I've taught that. I wonder how much of a priority that is for people anymore. And so I thought I would spend a couple of um, opportunities here, a couple of devotions uh, focusing on this. You know, there are a lot of crazy ways that people treat the Bible if they don't have a discipline of how to understand the Bible. Um, the hunt and peck approach is a popular one. I remember when I was in high school, there was a group, there was a singing group that I was in and we were trying to choose a name for our group. And we thought, well, let's make it a biblical name. And just for fun, um, we were ac actually at an old Presbyterian church that had one of these huge old church Bibles. And so um, I, I forget, one of us opened up the Bible and just put our put our finger down and thought, you know, maybe we'll just where we put our finger down, that will become the name, you know, whatever, wherever we read, that'll be the name of our group. And so I, I put their finger down and, and what they put on their finger on, it said the blood of oxen, which would have made a pretty cool name if we were going to be like some kind of punk group, I suppose. But um, the blood of oxen, probably would not have appealed to, since we were singing to a lot of elderly people uh, and, and very conservative churches, the blood of oxen just kind of wasn't, um, wasn't quite fitting. But that's the approach a lot of people could take to the Bible. How, how am I going to study the Bible? I'm just going to put my finger down and learn whatever I can there. A lot of craziness. The Geneva Bible translators, um, it was written 50 years before the King James Version, the Bible of Shakespeare and Knox and and done translates this uh, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, dividing the word of truth aright. That's pretty beautiful. Two phrases jump out at me there. First of all, approved to God, and second, accurately handling the word of truth. Approved to God. In an age where we tend to scream grace and whisper holiness of God. The idea of approved by God seems a bit out of fashion. You know, we're saved by grace. Are you saying that, you know, we need to seek God's approval? Are you saying that God doesn't approve us if we don't? Well, I'm just saying the scripture's clear. We ought to show ourselves approved to God. We ought to desire for God to approve the way that we read scripture. Second, an age where truth is determined by perception, where 
people often value their own opinion of something and, and, and elevate that to the level, the status level of truth. The idea of accurately handling the word of truth can sound almost legalistic to some, kind of narrow. Who are you to say what's an accurate handling of the word of God or not? Uh, except y y we need to humbly understand that you and I are not the standard for truth. God is. We are seeking his approval. We are presenting ourselves to him as workers who need not be ashamed. In other words, we will stand either approved or not approved by the way that we handle his words. And so we want to handle his word rightly to honor God. Now, the good news is, just like baseball has rules to help us understand how to play the game, just as if you want to study something scientifically, there is a scientific method that you can follow that gives you um, a, a scientific res uh, a result. So there is there are basic rules for studying the Bible as well. These are what I want to talk about just briefly today and next time. Follow these and they'll help keep you on the right track. Basic rules for handling Bible, the Bible accurately. First of all, know the genre of the book and the passage that you are reading. Uh, every piece of scripture is not the same genre. Some is poetry, some is history, some is law, some is narrative, some is apocryphal in language. If you read history as though it's law, then you're going to be confused. History in the Bible doesn't come with commentary. And so sometimes, and this can be really frustrating, sometimes they do stuff and you think, wait, did God approve of that? Sometimes good guys, good people do bad stuff. And they're like, wait, did God approve of that? You know, David, King David marries what, 11 wives. What is God approving that well there, don't you wish there was a little commentary there no you have to understand this is writing history it's describing what happened it's not uh, prescribing it's, it's not defining what is what is good in action it's just describing what people did that doesn't necessarily mean that God approved of what they did um, there are times in the Old Testament where Satan is quoted just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's true. If Satan is saying something, Satan's a liar. And so if you just, you just quote that out of context and say, oh, that's, look, it's, it's in the Bible. Well, yeah, and it's from Satan's, Satan's words and it's, and it's poetry from Satan. Um, Ecclesiastes 1 is classic. Uh, futility of futilities, says the preacher. Futility of futilities, all is futility. What advantage does a person have in all of his work, which he does under the sun, Ecclesiastes says. Now, out of context, that kind of sounds like life is meaningless. Everything that we do in life is meaningless. No, this is poetry. Solomon is speaking from the lower story perspective. He's not speaking from godly wisdom. He's speaking of this is what life is like if you live actually without God. If you live as though there is no God and like life is all that matters. Yeah, everything is futile, but you have to read it in the context of the fact that it is poetry 
and the context then, as we'll talk about later on, of the rest of Scripture. I, um, I tried this on my mom when I was in junior high. I remember there was a time when my mom wanted me to mow the lawn. We had a good size lawn. And, uh, and I said, Mom, you know, I was reading Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanity, all is vanity. You know what? What do you get for all of this work under the sun, all this labor under the sun? I'm just going to have to mow the lawn again, you know, in, in, in next week if I mow it now. My mom, I, I thought it was kind of clever. I thought it was quite insightful. My mom was not too impressed, basically said, go mow the lawn anyway. And she was right. She understood the context better than I did, you see. When reading the Old Testament law, you have to read it in the context of what kind of law is this that we are reading. There are three kinds of law that we see in the Old Testament. There is, uh, is moral law, which would transcend time. There's also worship law, cultic law, because God was establishing worship in the Old Testament, which would prepare people for Jesus. All of the Old Testament worship was preparation for the Messiah who would come, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. It was all preparation to teach them sin brings death, sin brings death, sin brings death. Third, you have some law that is national law. In the Old Testament, often, if it was not unusual, if, if a law was broken, that the punishment, if it was a serious law, was capital, was capital offense. It was death. You know, now, and, and they would carry that out. You say, well, so does that mean we have the right today to administer capital punishment? No, those laws were because they were a nation with national authority, not just a church, you see. And so you have to read all of these things in, con in, 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 in context. If you read, um, if, if you read, the worship laws and apply them to modern day, you'd be out of context with the New Testament. You have to understand the genre of, of, uh, of, of the writing there. Um, the book of Revelation is another example of that. It's apocryphal language. Now, sometimes people like to read the book of Revelation and treat it like history. They like maybe even they know it's not literal. They, they will pick and choose. And we'll talk about this in a second. What's literal, they treat it like history. They but they need to understand what's the genre. Since it's apocryphal, how do you understand it because of that? So first one is read it according to the genre. Second is read it like literature. This is the kind of a second development of the first. Observe the rules of grammar. Now, immediately you may say, duh, you know, but this is one that really trips people up. Sometimes people use, sometimes Jesus will speak in hyperbole. It's not intended to be literal. If your right hand causes you offense, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, you know, pluck it out. Now, did Jesus mean that literally? No, it was hyperbole. He was using exaggeration to make a point. It, it, how do we know this? Common sense, first of all, but second, you don't see Jesus' disciples walking around one-handed or with one eye out. Um, they understood that he was speaking hyperbole, that he was saying, if, if something is causing you to sin, it is better for you to take harsh action and to, to knock the thing off than to hold on to this thing that you cherish so much and to, and to go to hell. Um, so obviously Jesus was speaking in hyperbole. His point is take action, take strong action to repent. 
Another time in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, she said, if anybody comes to me and he doesn't hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, some people might look at that who are who don't like Christianity and say, oh, Christianity teaches that we're, it's like a cult. You're not supposed to love your family anymore. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Again, it's hyperbole. Jesus is saying, um, I'm Lord of all. I'm the God who made you. You know, uh, have no other gods before me, besides me. Your love for me. I deserve your supreme love because I'm God. Um, that, that's what he's saying. Other times, the Bible talks about the four corners of the earth. And again, some people will take that out of context. Oh, the Bible says the earth is flat. No, it's a figure. Jesus will say, I'm the bread of life. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. Those are figures. One time Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant given for you. Now, some people have taken that literally, that like when you take of communion, it literally becomes the blood of Jesus. No, it's a figure. Jesus was saying, this represents my blood given for you. Um, and this is where that gets us to the book of Revelation as well. The book of Revelation is apocryphal language. Sometimes what people do is, that what you need to do is allow the context and the grammar to interpret itself. Sometimes what people do with the book of Revelation is if they can understand it to be literal, they'll make it literal. But if they can't understand it to be literal, they'll assume that it's figurative. So they'll take the numbers of the book of Revelation, because they those are concrete, they and make those literal all the time. And then they'll take the other figures, like the swarming locusts, and they'll say, oh, those are clearly figurative. That's an inconsistent approach to context. That's not allowing the grammar itself to tell you how to interpret what it means. Um, so, you know, 10 days prison, third of the earth destroyed, seven years tribulation, thousand years reign. Those are literal. They forget, though, that we use numbers as figures all the time. Again, appreciate grammar. In the Old Testament, when we say that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, we don't say, oh, it's just a thousand hills. That thousand and first hill, that's not God's. No, we understand God owns all of the hills all of the cattle on a thousand on the hills. When you and I say, hey, I'll be back in a minute. What do we do? Are you, are you looking at your watch saying, okay, I'll see you in 60 seconds? No, we say, we expect them to be back soon. It's a, it's a quantity um, term used for a quality uh, communication. We talk about it in the first family. What's that mean, the first family? Does it mean they were first Americans? Does that mean they're the ones who are most important? No, it's just our expression for, oh, that's the, the president's family. See, they are numbers that communicate quality. So know the genre and practice good grammar. We're going to stop there right now. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. Who, uh, as a worker who doesn't need to be shamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Know the genre, practice good grammar in your personal Bible study, in your small groups, 
Make your goal, not what do I feel this says? What do I want this to say? But first of all, what does God intend to say? How can I understand this in a way that honors him? Heavenly Father, um, help us to handle your word aright, to honor you. It's through Christ I pray. Amen. We'll pick up on this next time.